Welcome to the Four Feathers Podcast, brought to you by ONTAPSportsNet.com and presented by Manscaped. If you're looking for the best manscaping products on the planet, go to Manscaped.com and browse their awesome selection. The Lawnmower 3.0 brings you 7,000 RPMs of skin-safe technology so you don't nick your balls or any other sensitive areas. Want to keep the boys fresh all day? No problem. Go and pick up the ball toner and deodorant so you're fresh from a.m. to p.m. Go to Manscaped.com and use promo code ONTAP to get 20% off and free shipping and all your manscaping needs. That's manscaped.com. Use promo code ONTAP, all one word, and that'll get you 20% off and free shipping. Hello, Blackhawks fans, and welcome into the Four Feathers Podcast. I'm your host, Johnny Nani. I've got Ron Luce and Tony Marchese with me tonight. It's time to crack them and get ready for the Blackhawks 2021 season. We're back. Hockey is back officially on Wednesday, January 13th. Cannot wait. Blackhawks open up against the Tampa Bay Lightning. Guys, um, we've been waiting for this all winter. Um, ever since the Blackhawks got eliminated by the Vegas Golden Knights, I am beyond ready for hockey to be back in my life. I don't know about you guys. Absolutely, Johnny. Uh, I'm just, like you said, man, ready for some Blackhawks hockey to watch. I'm sick and tired of watching football, you know, getting that only three days a week. I'm ready to throw some some hockey back on and uh, get to enjoy uh, the great sport of hockey and watch the Blackhawks. Ron, how about you, man? Yeah, man, I'm I'm so fired up. I had a moment yesterday where I, I literally I woke up and I had enjoyed myself a few few beers during the games on Sunday. You know, we crack them over here at Ontap Sportsnet and um, was a little sore. And then I had that moment of realization going, oh, there's hockey in two days. And I felt instantly better. So I to say I am excited for hockey might be an understatement. I I'm, I'm beyond ready. I don't care that it's 56 games. I don't care that the Hawks might not be the greatest this year. Hockey's back. I'm a happy human. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Ronnie, talk about like, you know, getting that like just kind of jolt of excitement where it just kind of hits you. Um, usually it'd be like the night before jitters. It'd be like tonight. We're recording this on the 12th Tuesday, the night before the regular season. That'd kind of be like the uh, little kid on Christmas Eve can't go to sleep because Santa's coming. Um, I already got that last night. Uh, it took me a long, long time to fall asleep last night just thinking about it, uh, going through, watching some old highlights. So, uh, yeah, couldn't be more ready for the season here at Four Feathers. Uh, before we jump into our season, preview episode um make sure you go to ontapsportsnet.com for all your chicago sports literature and podcasting needs we are the official blackhawks coverage unit of ontapsportsnet.com you can go and follow us on twitter and instagram at four feathers pod and at ontapsportsnet and if you enjoy the podcast we would really appreciate it if you go and give us a five-star rating and review as well as subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts all right, gentlemen, let's jump right into the news for today's show. First thing on the docket, Jeremy Colleton gets a two-year contract extension, dropped at like 7.30 this morning. So don't know if that was uh, strategically placed or not, but either way, fire away with your thoughts. I'll, I'll go ahead and, and, and probably give the lighter side of this, but um, I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't hate it. I don't love it. It's, thank God it's not like a five-year extension. I think I would actually hate that. But, I mean, you know, he came in. For, for Joel in that 18-19 season, you know, kind of unfairly. And then 19-20 was cut short because of COVID. So, um, you know, I mean, they did win a play-in series. Take that for what it is. I don't really hold much weight for that. But 
you know, it'll be interesting to see what he does. And I mean, if he can at least grow these guys, I saw a, uh, a comment from one of our very own here uh, from one of our guys, Ryan today. Um, he mentioned this kind of being like with Denny Savard, right? Where like he was brought in because he could, you know, relate to these young guys. He was a, a more, you know, kind of maybe recent player. He was a superstar. Maybe obviously Colleton wasn't a superstar in the NHL, but you know, maybe Colleton kind of fulfills that role over the next two years, develop, try to develop these guys, maybe try and find some of that success, not necessarily wins and losses, but just success with the team he had with Rockford for his one season when he was there, when he accumulated 40 wins. And then, you know, maybe you, you move on from there then when a high profile coach becomes available after those two years. And hopefully by then some of these young guys are in a good enough place where maybe this team's actually ready to compete again. I don't know if that's going to be the case, uh, but it's possible. So I think it's, you know, you know, the team's not in a good spot right now. Let Colleton continue to do his thing. And if they just continue to suck, then you just don't resign them after those two years are done. So uh, that'll be interesting to see. But, um, you know, 2022-23 is what he signed through. So um, hopefully by then the Hawks are starting to compete again. Otherwise, I'm going to be a very, very sad human being. But, uh, Tony, I will, I will let you turn this over because I think I know where you're going to go with this. I might surprise you a little bit with it, Ron. Honestly, um, you know, uh, this roster is not designed to compete in the playoffs. Uh, this roster is right now constructed for development. Uh, all I've heard about Jerry McAlton since he came here is that he's great at developing players. Uh, this is a prove-it year for Jeremy Calton. Um, Ron, I actually do put some stake in the, uh, the, the play-in series win against Edmonton. I mean, uh, he led a group of uh, hockey players past uh, one of the greatest that plays the game right now in Connor McDavid. Um, I know he wasn't on the ice doing it, but he was behind the bench and coaching. And, um, you know, I think one thing that Johnny said last year was that Calton has had the ability to adapt. I've liked that. Um, I'm not saying that he's fully grown on me. But I don't think I would want Joel Quinville coaching this roster of Blackhawks. I think that uh, this is a perfect opportunity for a guy like Jeremy Calton to actually have the type of roster that's constructed for what his strengths are supposed to be. So let's see what he can do. Um, you know, I think that it's just the way that this roster is constructed uh, and what this the outlook for this team is right now. Uh, I'm really I'm really not too concerned all that much about the the guy behind the bench. His job right now is going to be to develop young guys and rotate playing time in for some of these vets to drive up some trade values so the Hawks can acquire assets. Um, I'm just looking forward to seeing what he does with uh, with this year. I like that it's not long term. Ron, you can imagine that as well. Uh, when the Hawks are in a position to compete again, we'll talk about the head coach. Yeah, guys, I think uh, the timing of this was to ensure that you don't get the up in arms calls uh, because that would happen, I would think, fairly early on in the season. Uh, just from fans that are watching and you know may not be as invested in day to day, they see the results, the box score, and they'll be calling for the coach's head uh, when that happens. And that that's still going to happen regardless. I, I think that can happen even with some great teams. Um, you know, uh, it just depends on uh, how the mood is surrounding the team at that current time. But um, I think that's just is a reasoning behind the timing of it, uh, get it locked in before the regular season actually starts. And then going back to some of the points that you guys said, we've heard about him being a good developmental coach, obviously over in Europe, um, leading a team up and they were able to place up and go into the next division uh, over there. And then I uh, used with Rockford before, obviously that's a very developmental uh, place. You know, it's an AHL. You're trying to feed into the NHL, develop those guys to get to that level. So uh, let's see it. Let's turn these guys from, uh, you know, green 
into um, something that looks like they can be a formidable product on the ice and uh, be competitive in the years to come. So, I mean, we I told you guys before we started, and for our listeners, we could sit here and bitch about all of Jeremy Collins' shortcomings and how much we miss Joel Quinville, but I think Tony brings up a good point when he says that Joel Quinville probably would not be the right guy to coach this group of Blackhawks. Um, obviously a very different group than he had uh, when he was here. So th- that wraps it up for the Jeremy Collins news. There are a bunch of other updates, so we need to move on to those. Uh, John, from Training camp. One thing I want to slip in there. You've said that yeah. uh, people w- will be calling for his head. Everything I said, I will also preface that with the over-under is probably said it like seven times. I'm going to call for him to be fired on post-game show. So <laughs> just letting everybody know. there. That's that's my stance. Sorry, John. Yeah. <laughs> But no, that's the way it goes here. And that's, you know, pretty much what you can expect. Uh, emotions will get hot. Um, we're, we're not immune to that either. Uh, like you had said, Tony, you could very well hear that on this show here. Uh, but just from an organizational standpoint, setting that up, uh, that, that's why I just wanted to point that out. I'm um, getting it out of the way before any actual games take place this year. So on to the updates from training camp. Guys that had been absent previously. Evan Barrett practiced for the first time Monday, so that was good to see. He was assigned to Rockford. We'll get to all those names in a minute here. Nikita Zadorov tweaked his groin, uh, missed a few days in the middle, missed a couple scrimmages, but returned to practice Monday, um, said it was minor, said he's ready to rock and roll. But guys, what did I put on the Twitter account? I said what he really meant was say, he can't wait to start fucking hammering people. Um, that's what his rock and roll comment was to me. But yeah, good to see Zadorov will be in there. Uh, good to go for game one. Brent Seabrook still not skating yet due to an ailment unrelated to surgeries last year. Bowman announced uh, in that package uh, kind of press conference uh, media availability when he's talking about the college extension today. So uh, no bionic Seabs yet. Um, probably be, you know, maybe a month or so before we see him when you're talking about getting back on the ice first and then getting into game shape. Uh, Carl Soderberg, finally, um, the visa issues got sorted out. So he is in Chicago starting his mandatory seven day quarantine will not be with the team for the first road trip. That is the first four games of the season two in Tampa two in Florida. They hope to have him back for the home opener, uh, which will be two Friday nights from now at home against Detroit. So hopefully that is when we see uh, Soderberg in the lineup. As for the moves, um, I talked about uh, Barrett being assigned to Rockford. A um, handful of them, guys that were on the training camp roster that got moved. Andre Altibarmakian, uh, Barrett, like I mentioned, Mate Halupa, Mackenzie Entwistle, Reese Johnson, Cam Morrison, Tim Soderland, Michael Tepley, Chad Chris, and Alec Rigula. Don't think there were many surprises there. Um, those guys are going to be AHL guys. Nick Sealer, Anton Lindholm, John Quinville, and Matt Tompkins cleared waivers. Uh, they were assigned to Rockford as well then. And Zach Smith, interesting situation there. Uh, maybe we'll get some more clarity tomorrow before the game. Um, but he was supposed to be healthy at the beginning of camp. Uh, Blackhawks pretty much said, we don't want you here because we want to give time to younger guys. So he cleared waivers at the beginning of camp. Uh, he was placed on injured reserve. Uh, I think that's kind of a salary cap thing right now. But we'll see uh, where that goes on opening night. And then, as expected, Al- Alexander Nylander on long-term injured reserve. You would have to imagine Kirby Doc and Jonathan Taves get that designation as well when they have that announcement on game day. So did you guys catch any of the scrimmage on uh, Sunday night? Because that is the next thing before we kind of break down uh, topics for the season preview. Um, I saw the fantastic coverage of the scrimmage done by our great team here at four feathers, uh, most notably you, Mr. Johnny Nani. Um, so I will turn it over to you because I only saw, uh, the fantastic highlights that my, you know, all of our great followers and listeners, as well as, uh, the rest of the, the four feathers gang here we're seeing from the uh, Twitter account when it was happening. 
Yeah, so that happened on Sunday night. Um, kind of a nice relief uh, for fans from the Bears game because it was pretty much over by that point. That it started at 6 p.m. on Sunday night. Um, you know, they played an inter-squad scrimmage. Score doesn't really matter, but Highmore had a couple. Kershaw had a couple. Looked impressive. Carlson had one. Uh, David Camp, Brandon Hagel, John Quinville, and then um, uh, Peary and Debrinket scored for the other team. So it was like an 8-2 game. Kind of got out of hand, but uh, just I had a few observations from it. Um, you know, the red team guys is more of what you'd call the, you know, the real NHL team. Uh, they were the ones that got smacked. So they're going to have to ramp it up for Wednesday night. Hopefully that was a good wake up call for them. Uh, the fourth line, Highmore, Camp, Carpenter, they were the top line for the white group uh, that had a bunch of those guys that were sent down to the AHL filling out the rest of the lineup. They were buzzing, absolutely explosive. Uh, obviously, Highmore had a couple goals. Carpenter had a couple nice setups. Uh, Camp scored a nice backhander, so that was good. Um, Ian Mitchell looked poised, uh, did some nice zone carry-ins, so excited to see him uh, in a real game. And then uh, Kershev, you know, making his case. Um, that, that may have been something that won him a job. So good to see that from Phil, uh, Philip Kershev. Kaladin also specified him as one of the standouts from scrimmage along with Mitchell. Um, Carlson brings some offense to the blue line. Like to see that. Um, felt like he was just kind of there, um, a little over his head last year when he got some time. So that was it. Lycanin looked like the best goalie to me, but you know you'd imagine that Subban, Dalia. We'll, we'll get to that later. Those guys will probably be the top two. Uh, we would imagine. Um, power play sucks. Time's a flat circle. That's kind of shit that we expected. Um, and then uh, Nick Sealer and Reese Johnson dropped the gloves. Uh, they were jawing at each other, slashing each other. Um, uh, it's kind of cheap shots from Nick Sealer. So we're going to call him scumbag Sealer here. Um, kind of punching Johnson while he was down on the ice still afterward. So that, uh, you know, they get some sent down to the AHL. He is just here for depth uh, in case of COVID and injuries anyway. So, and then uh, the MVP of the night guys was Tommy Hawk. Uh, this guy takes no days off. He's there. Uh, he's got his recliner and whatever, but he, he was up out of it, banging on the drum, uh, you know, get, getting the no crowd uh, livened up. I believe it was only Ben Pope and Mark Lazarus in the building. Um, but I posted that video. I'm sure you guys saw it of Tommy Hawk just banging away up there. Um, the, the, that guy's relentless, man. It's Holy. awesome to see. He had a rough offseason. I don't know if either of you saw some of these videos uh, that Tommy Hawk was releasing on Twitter. I, I was actually kind of curious, and it almost got to a point where I wrote an article over the offseason worried about Tommy Hawk because at like, one point he ran away with like a bag uh, on the end of a stick and was like living in a forest for like a while, and I was pretty concerned. I'm just I'm happy for, for his health and that he's back to normal banging his drum uh, at the UC. Yeah. And, you know, uh, he's smart with COVID, too. I mean, he's wearing a mask out there, um, even though nobody is around him. So, no, <laughs> Tommy Hawk, man, he, he's locked in from day one. So even if the team isn't, um, hopefully there are plenty of good Tommy Hawk clips and gifts, because I would imagine he'll be roaming around um, throughout the season. So, gentlemen, we're, we're here to preview the 2021 season. Um, all that shit's out of the way now. So um, the, let's jump right into it. Obviously, we know it's a year of development. So um, let's start with storylines that we're looking at. And I think uh, number one that's got to be at the top of every Blackhawks fan's radar is Ian Mitchell. Um, most likely to crack the opening night lineup. He has been paired with Calvin Hahn. You'd imagine that's a pair um, going forward, and they'll at least have that for the initial stages of the season. What are we looking for from Ian Mitchell this year? I think for me personally, what I'm looking from Ian Mitchell is just for him to develop his style. And what I mean by that is, um, and a guy I know we're going to talk about, but for example, Adam Boakvist. Adam Boakvist is kind of known and shown that he's an offensive defenseman, right? He shows he's a puck mover. You know, he shows that he's going to jump into the rush. 
He's not afraid to, you know, go below the the red line or below, you know, the dots and, and get involved. I want to see what Ian Mitchell is. Is Ian Mitchell a true two-way defenseman? Is he more like a Duncan Keith, you know, in, in his heyday where, you know, he can put up 50 points in a year, but he's also, you know, an electric player defensively? Um, you know, or are we going to get him being more of a maybe a Brett Seabrook type where he doesn't score as much but plays really good defense, can play in all situations, things like that. So I think personally for me, I'm really excited to see Ian Mitchell kind of develop his style of what he's going to be as an NHL player. Ron, I love what you said. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how that shakes out. I think for me, the most important thing for for Mitchell is stay healthy. Um, you get as many games in as you possibly can. And I think that that kind of just coincides with Ron said. Uh, right now, we're talking about a year of development. We need that development to start to take place in order to do that. Stay healthy, stay on the ice. Um, you know, just I, I expect there to be some rookie mistakes. I expect there to be some uh, lapses in coverage. I expect there to be all that fun stuff that uh, you're going to get out of a first year defenseman. Um, I think the kid has a ton of hype, but uh, at this point, we just got to be a little bit patient, try and be patient with this, let him develop. It's not going to happen overnight. Um, he's going to have to learn from those mistakes uh, that he's going to make. Um, and we'll see what kind of mentality he has towards that as the season goes on. So that's, that's what I've got for Ian Mitchell. Johnny. Yeah, my my big watch will be the um, confidence builder as and see how that uh, starts from game one on Wednesday night here through the end when we're getting into early May. Um, I want to see that confidence skyrocket. I want to see the communication skills uh, on full display. Um, I want to see him, you know, make a mistake and then turn around and uh, eliminate that chance the next time. If it was something that, um, you know, was a high danger chance, you know, maybe resulted in a goal or having your goalie have to make a sprawling save, whatever it may be um, and uh, whatever he needs to do. Um, to make those adjustments, whether that's talking to his partner and Dehan, obviously to start, or any of the other guys on the bench, um, I, I want to see Duncan Keith and the likes of those guys, Nikita Zadorov in his ear, telling him what he did wrong, uh, how he can improve, or you know, congratulating him if he does something right and reinforcing that, you know, that positive reinforcement. So um, it's more than just him; it's kind of like the team effort there um, on the back end. But I think that um, uh, all of those factors uh, blend them into one, and that will just tell me where Ian Mitchell's confidence is at the beginning um, and then towards the end. And then just something a little more specific, uh, it'll be carry-ins. You know, we saw, like I said, very, you know, it's a scrimmage. It's, you know, you're playing your own guys. Maybe they're not forechecking as hard, um, but the carry-ins, uh, that, that's going to be, you know, that's a new style. The NHL the defenseman carry the puck into the zone instead of just sending it up um, every time. That, that happens more and more frequently. So um, if he can do that and harness that, you know, because he was able to do that at Denver. So if he can uh, bring that into the league, it, and at least start to figure out those lanes and figure out what does and doesn't work. Um, th that's kind of what I'll be looking for for me and Mitchell. Furthermore, another young defenseman, Adam Boquist. Uh, we talked a ton about the power play. Uh, it's something that I'll be watching big time. But other than that, it's improvements in the defensive zone. Um, what are you guys looking for from Adam Boquist in year two? Exactly what you said, Johnny. Um, I want to see him clean up some stuff that he you know, maybe made mistakes on um, in his own zone. Also would like to see him get a little more aggressive offensively. I think you saw bits and flashes of it last year. Um, I think the power play, especially if he's playing with the top unit, which so far it seems like that's going to be the case. So, Johnny, you are going to get your wish, it seems like. But, um, you know, if he's if he's starting to take those chances and, and he can truly lead a power play and be a true point man on the power play, I would expect to see his numbers go up. I would, I would expect, obviously, 56-game season, I can't, you know, 
necessarily ballpark exactly what I'd like to over an 82 game season, but I think it's very reasonable that we see 25 to 30 points out of Adam Boquist this year. I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility, especially if he's playing power play time. So for me, that's the biggest thing I want to see exactly what you said, Johnny, but also then, you know, start taking that confidence step forward. Very similar to what you guys mentioned about Ian Mitchell as well. Yeah, that's pretty much what I was going to kind of echo there is is the confidence thing that you talked about with Ian Mitchell. I want to see him develop that confidence leading a power play. We, we just The power play has been shit for so long. Um, and if we have any hope for it to get better in the near future, guys like Boquist are going to need to be uh, confident in those roles and able to put up some points. And, and you want him to be the quarterback of that power play, Johnny. I want him to have all the confidence in the world leading that thing. Uh, that's pretty much where I'm at. I think you... Uh, touched on a lot of that uh, same stuff that I was going to say, Ryan. So for me, another thing that I'll be watching from Adam Boquist is utilizing the shot a little bit more. Um, on the power play, maybe it won't be as much because they did specify that they want one to be more of a puck-moving power play, looking for those passes that will open up scoring chances, and then another one, probably the second group, at least from what we've seen in scrimmages, will be more of the shooting power play. Right now you got Kubelik on there, guys that can you know set it up for a one-timer. So um, maybe not on the power play like I'm talking about for Adam Boquist here um, with utilizing the shot. You know, you'd obviously like to see some go in. His very first uh, NHL goal came just uh, as a power play is expiring. Uh, he used a nice shot from the top of the left circle. But um, what I'm talking about is jumping into the plays uh, because he's obviously got the quickness to do so. So come and when you see that puck and you see the uh, lane opening there um, and you got a guy in front to offer a screen or maybe the defenseman screen in the goalie, use that shot and sneak it by. Um, that's how you can start to accumulate those points to run um, as well as the power play. So um, that does it for Boquist. Um, Nick Bodine, Nicholas Bodine, slick Nick, I'm calling him guys. Um, he, he impressed the camp, uh, the coaching staff throughout camp. Obviously we were not there uh, watching day in and day out, uh, but it looked fairly decent in the scrimmage as well. Um, I, I think it's going to be interesting to see how he performs. I feel like he is the, forgotten one uh, of this blue line group uh, because Ian Mitchell and Adam Boquist are so flashy um, in that prospect pool. But uh, Nick Bodine's a really solid D man. So Ron, I feel like you uh, have been tracking this guy for a little bit too. So we'll insight on slick Nick. Yeah. I, I, I liked Bodine coming out. I, I thought his biggest weakness was just, he was small. Um, and I know there's already been reports. He said he put on like, 15 pounds of muscle or something like that in the off season. So that's huge for him. I mean, he didn't look awful in that kind of, I call it a tryout game that he got right before COVID struck and everything shut down. He held his own. He didn't look, he didn't stand out to me egregiously because he was making so many mistakes, but he also didn't stand out because he was, you know, lighting the world on fire either. He was, he was stable. He did his job. He got the job done at the end of the day. Um, I would really like to see him do something this year. I would, I would like to see a lot out of Bodine. Um, he was a first round pick, uh, just as a reminder for people. And obviously, I know there's statistics out there, and I believe the statistic is, is you know, anybody picked outside of like the top 15 um, has the same odds, essentially, of getting to the NHL as a third round pick. So take for what you want with that kind of numbers and stats. But at the end of the day, he's still a guy that this team was willing to use a first round pick on. So clearly they saw something in him. Um, I think what was big for him when he was in the juniors is he went from being kind of that puck moving offensive guy to trying to become more of a two way and more balanced player. And I think that's what I'd like to see out of him in whatever action he gets this year, whether it's at the Rockford level, whether if he is the taxi squad guy, you know, whether he's getting worked in, you know, in some games uh, throughout the season, maybe they do a seventh defenseman at times and maybe he's that guy. I just want to see him 
again, kind of establish a style so fans can understand what this guy's going to be at the NHL level. Is he going to be a true shutdown guy or is he going to be more of a two-way guy? Um, and then, you know, hopefully he just exactly what I, we kind of said along the lines with Mitchell and both this, continue to learn, continue to develop, make the mistakes. That's okay. Um, but can you rebound and can you learn from them? So um, again, a, a guy that I'm very excited because I feel like he's the most unknown uh, of the group, just because I think a lot of people are still waiting to see what he truly can become and what this front office saw of him when they made him a first round draft pick not too long ago. For him, uh, for just this season specifically, though, um, it's going to be making the most of your minutes because I have a feeling the opportunities are just going to be sparing, especially as someone like Seaver comes back into the lineup. Um, you know, he'll he'll get his. Um, th- that's going to eliminate a spot for a guy like Bodine. So um, if you're not getting it done early, unfortunately, that, that may be a sign that, you know, you're kind of banished to the taxi squad, Rockford, um, whatever they decide to do with him. So um, for Bodine, it's making the most uh, of the opportunities given. Um, on to the next one, uh, Pius Suter. Um, I, so I I'd previously on episodes here called him Pius, but uh, John Weideman, when they were calling the scrimmage on Sunday night, said it was Pius. So uh, Pius, Pius Suter, I believe that's how it's pronounced. So Pius, um, Pius, yeah, Pius. yeah. We're going to have a lot of fun with that one. Well, we will have fun with that one here. I still got to get that one down right. But um, he has the opportunity, the next uh, flashy uh, object of the Blackhawks uh, European pipeline. Uh, You know, a former Swiss League MVP coming over, essentially slotted into a middle six role already. That's how highly they think of him. Um, You know, what what can we look for from uh, Pew Suter and uh, anything approaching Kubelik levels, Ron? Well, I will say this, and I apologize if I take any, either one of your points here, but um, when Dominic Kubelik was acquired his rights from the Kings and then ultimately signed by the Blackhawks, um, he led the Swiss League in scoring. He was their leading scorer that year in that league. Um, Pius Suter, Pius Suter, excuse me. See, I'm already screwing that one up. Pius Suter did that last year. He did exactly what Kubelik did two seasons prior. Uh, and that was lead the Swiss League in points. So clearly this guy knows how to score. Um, and from a lot of the highlights that we've seen, he's not afraid to go to the front of the net. And that was a big thing that I think stood out with Kubalik too. So do I think maybe he comes in and, and is Kubalik level right away? Maybe not. But I think there's certainly the upside there of saying, hey, this guy can at least come in and hell, if he's three quarters of what Kubalik was, you know, if you, if you tell me they got a guy that can be a 20 goal, 40 point guy and play in your middle six for years to come, I'd be happy about it because, you know, Stan Bowman and company have kind of made their bread and butter on more of these international signings and under the radar guys than they have their own draft picks. If you really look at the history of it, and obviously drafting is is not a science. It's it's you know it's a lot of luck and praying to God that something works out. But you know, at the end of the day, you know the Blackhawks have really benefited from a lot of these international type signings. So I hope Suter can absolutely become you know another version of a Dominic Kubelik in terms of a value player that you got from overseas that you can add to this team for, you know, years and years to come. And hopefully when this team is still contending or contending again, excuse me. Yeah. Ron took a few of mine. And and the, the, the main point is, is that Stan Bowman and company, if they've done one thing very well, it's go to that international market and make these signings and guys that can come and jump in and, and score. Um, it what seems like at will. Um, and Kubelik is, is just the, the latest example of, of what we've seen come through Chicago, but um, you know, is, is he the next Kubelik? I don't know if he's going to be the next Kubelik, Johnny. I think that, uh, that he's going to develop into his own style. Hopefully he's an exciting player and, and one that, uh, Hawks fans can grow to love just as they had, uh, you know, Dominic Kubelik last year. I think that, uh, 
you know, the, the chances there and uh, the track records there, let's see what happens. And I think it's, it's a great year to have a guy like that on your team because, uh, not only like Ron said, could he be somebody that, uh, you can lock up and then have in, in the middle of your, uh, lineup every night scoring points, but, uh, he could also become a trade chip or, or something that's out there that could be useful for the organization right now. Um, I, I love what, what Stan does when he goes out and gets some of these guys, because, you, you've never heard about them, and all of a sudden they're uh, they're a household name for NHL fans by the end of the year, and I'm I'm hoping that that's exactly what we have here. Biggest question for me surrounding Pew Suter is center or wing, and Jeremy Colladin, please don't fuck me around and don't fuck Pew Suter around. If you see you try whatever at the beginning, sure you may try some different things, and you know it was a quick ramp up time. Training camp wasn't as long as it usually is before a regular season. I get that, so you're not really able to feel that out. But if you see him struggling at center, don't keep throwing him out there if that's just because you need a body there. Um, I think you can you know, utilize from more of the bottom six uh, to help cover the center role there. Um, you know, it, Let him do what is going to help him produce. Um, and if that means keeping him on the wing, uh, even though you have a vacancy at center, um, so be it. I, I just think that you know, they kind of shuffled back and forth. I think he started at center, then went to wing the second day of camp, and I know that's all just trying it out, but as soon as you establish what it is there, uh, don't fuck him around. That's kind of where I'm at with Pia Suter. So um, set him up for success, basically what I'm saying. All right, um, goalies. Now, we've talked about last time, I think the only thing that we said was puke, garbage, bad, awful. Uh, We'll dive into it a little bit more here. Which goalie do you think will step up the most this season? That is a great question. I, I'm going to go with the safe bet here. To me, it's got to be Colin Delia. I just I feel like he, at least for Blackhawks fans, is kind of the most known commodity of the you know group of essentially three. I think Lankinen is still out to prove something. Uh, you know, on one hand, he had a first half performance in the AHL that garnered him an All Star appearance, and he had an incredible World uh, World Championships tournament where he, you know. Dominated. I think he had like a 194 goals against average in that tournament. Um, that being said, he also had a second half that saw him lose his job to Colin Delia, and, and Colin Delia took over. And then I think Malcolm Subban, you know, the only thing Blackhawks fans do know about him is his numbers from his time in Vegas, and he was a sub nine, uh, sub 90% save percentage. I mean, that's not ideal if you're going to get the job done as a number of goaltender. So to me, I think Delia ultimately is the guy that steps up, but at the end of the day, if I'm being completely honest, I don't care who steps up. As long as somebody can step up and be a competent starting goaltender and not give up eight goals every night, I would be happy. For me, um, I, I want to see Lincoln in play, and I want him to step up. Uh, I think, Johnny, you and I texted about this the other night. Um, to me, he's the most exciting of the bunch, just mainly because he's unknown and he had that success at the IIHF. Uh, what was that last year, 2019? Yeah. Um, so I think to me he's got that that pedigree. We've we've seen Calendelia. We've seen what Malcolm Subban is. Um, I, I think that this team is going to need a goalie of the future, and the the time to decide or, or get some experience for a guy like Lincoln in is now. Obviously, I think we're going to have uh, Subban and Delia carrying most of the workload this year. Um, I, I think the goalie situation right now in Chicago is nothing short of embarrassing. Um, it's fucking embarrassing if you ask me. Um, I think that it's going to, like I said on the last show, cause us to drink so many beers this year. Um, one of the reasons that this team was so fucking good, um, and even just able to make it to 
um, some of the Stanley Cups that they have or uh, even survive the first round uh, last season was because of goaltending. And we're not going to have that this year. I, I don't know if either of those guys are going to step up and be stellar. Are we going to see uh, probably the Malcolm Subban game? Are we going to see the the Delia game? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that both of those guys have the ability to to steal one or two games, maybe all season. Uh, but it's not going to be the same goaltending that we're used to watching uh, in the last, I'd say, fifteen years here in Chicago. So, um, guys, I, I think that this is the scariest thing. Uh, I, I can't say who who is going to step up and lead that. I can tell you who I want, uh, but it's going to be very interesting. I think that. Uh, what we're dealing with is is quite shitty and, and putrid, and one of the reasons why uh, this team is going to be uh, as bad as it is. No lies detected there. We, we talked about it ever since uh, Corey Crawford has let go, and they proclaimed that, that this is what the route that they were going to go. Um, we knew we were in for it, so at least I am mentally prepared for it. But to answer my own question here, it'll be a slight two-parter. Um, overall, just a baseline answer to this question is, Calendalia. That is the answer for who will step up, and that will be on the more consistent basis. Um, I feel like he will be the guy that you are okay with turning the net overnight, 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 um, too. And he will get more of those. Even if those games are losses, um, he, he may perform in stretches that will um, keep him in that net over someone like Subban or Lankinen. But when the inevitable happens and there's a goal barrage and someone comes in, um, you know, maybe they pull him in a first, second period, uh, something like this. I, I think the highest high ceiling performance that you'll see is from Kevin Lankinen, Um, because I do think he has that skill. He showed it in stretches um, at that IHF world. Um, he's done plenty on international ice time to prove it over here. Um, and he's going to have all the opportunity in the world with basically no pressure on him. So um, that's, I would expect your big flashy performance. Uh, and it may only be uh, one-off times, maybe two or three games. Uh, but I think you'll get your best performances of the year from Lankanen, but most consistent from Dahlia. So um, that's just how I'm looking at it. Uh, as for Malcolm Subban, um, like you said, Tony, you might get a game two in there um, where it's you're calling it the Malcolm Subban game you're calling it the Colin Dahlia game um, but when you're talking game over game basis um, the, he would be more likely to relinquish the net than a Colin Dahlia in my mind so um, and that's just based on I think he is who he is uh, you kind of know what you have um, but you're just keeping him around here um, this year to basically just fill some holes uh, until I can in Dahlia figure it out completely. That's just how I kind of stand on Malcolm Subban. So Blackhawks have contracts here uh, that are all very viable trade chips, guys. Um, that's Matias Yanmark. He's 27 years old, carries a two to five million cap hit. He's unrestricted free agent next season. Um, obviously has experience playing with the Dallas Stars uh, in the Stanley Cup final last year um, was formidable for them uh, for, you know, multiple seasons down there in Dallas. Lucas Walmark, Ron, one of our favorite guys here, 25 years old, only an 850K, uh, 950K maybe cap hit. Either way, it's under a million, which is ridiculous for him. Uh, but he is a restricted free agent at the end of this year. And then Carl Soderberg, kind of the emergency signing for the Blackhawks, um, 34 years old, 1 million cap hit, um, unrestricted free agent next season. But, you know, uh, teams that are trying to compete down the stretch, like the Blackhawks most likely will not be, uh, will always need center depth. So um, at least Walmart and Soderberg, uh, I would pin as very likely trade options. What about you guys? 
Yeah, I agree. I think all three of them uh, are certainly trade options. I mean, Janmark has shown, I think, his value, even though he's a winger, he's very versatile and can play all situations. He can kill penalties. I'm sure you can throw him in on the power play and he's not going to look out of place. And they all carry very modest cap hits. So I think that's going to be appealing, especially in a year with a flat cap um, to a lot of teams as this season rolls on. Truthfully, I would prefer Janmark and Soderberg be trade chips over Walmart. Um, I know Johnny and I are probably on the same page on this one, but you know, he's 25. I think that's the biggest thing here, right? He, he fits kind of with that young core where you can kind of keep moving forward with him. He's a guy that can play up and down the lineup. He can play, you know, meaningful minutes. I mean, in Carolina, which is a deep forward group, he was playing mostly third and fourth line minutes, but he was also seeing power play and PK time. I think that's a testament to just the player he is. Um, and Johnny, I know you, you've made predictions about him, and I'm not going to spoil them. People can, um, I'm just going to refer our fans to the previous Four Feather episodes, but he realistically could be the best you know, acquisition this team had during the off season in terms of his value. And I know that's, you know, Johnny's favorite phrase with him. So 850 K for a 25 year old guy that can play both center and wing and kills penalties and plays power play. To me, that's a guy you want to keep around and not trade unless somebody's willing to pay an arm, a leg and maybe an eyeball for him at the end of the day. So, um, but I think Soderberg, I completely agree, you know, experienced centerman that can kill penalties and, and win faceoffs is huge for a team going into the playoffs. And I think Matthias Janmark, a guy that's got you know relevant cup experience, that can also kill penalties, can play on the power play, and he's still 27 years old. So a guy that you keep around long term if a team really likes him and you know wants to resign him going into the next year. So uh, would prefer Janmark and Soderberg leave first, but um, I would like to see Lucas Walmart stick around. But I'm not going to hold my breath because Lord knows Stan has a tendency to break my heart. Yeah, Ron, I think the problem there is that uh, Walmart is actually the most attractive out of all of them, uh, and that just goes with the value, the age. Um, and like you said, his abilities to play up and down the lineup and everything. Uh, again, I echo your statement, uh, but I think you probably get the best return uh, for a Walmart over Janmark or Soderberg, depending on uh, what teams are dealing with what injuries. And, um, you know, you can even throw COVID-19 in there, too, uh, depending on the needs of the teams that uh, are out there and who's in, who's out of lineup as we're heading uh, towards the trade deadline. Uh, it'll be interesting to see. I think this one's going to actually be a crazy trade deadline, uh, particularly for the Blackhawks themselves, just in the position that they are in right now to make some moves. Um, I would say that uh, we've listed three trade chips uh, here. There, there's plenty of other ones that are up and down the roster too. But, uh, Ron, I, I do agree, Walmart. I'd, I'd love to see if he can stick around. The problem is, is that you want him to be good, but you don't want him to be too good uh, if you want to retain him. But unfortunately, uh, that kind of plays into my bold prediction that we'll get into later. Um, you guys took a lot of the good analysis. I don't need to uh, rehash that too much. Uh, my prediction is that both Soderberg and Walmart are the ones to move. I actually think teams will not like Matthias Yenmark uh, because of his injury history and his 225 million cap hit. So I do think the Blackhawks will be pinned uh, with Matthias Janmark all year. Um, and I think he can offer some valuable contributions, but uh, for what teams are looking for and what they're actually willing to pay at the deadline, uh, much more likely given the contracts that Walmart and Soderberg are the ones to go. That's just a prediction, though. I hope I am very wrong on uh, Walmart and Soderberg. I think we all kind of agree that that, you know, if he goes, he goes. If he stays, I mean, it's not. He's just going to be riding out the rest of the season on a uh, basement dwelling team, uh, playing some center and uh, killing some penalties, maybe taking some uh, pucks that uh, Kirby Doc, you know, wouldn't have to take, um, you know, if he were in the lineup. That's essentially the role. Um, let's move on to weathering injuries and COVID-19. Um, such an interesting year, obviously a 56-game slate. Um 
Stars are already dealing uh, with a delayed start. They've got a shit ton of COVID tests um, that are positive there. Don't know um, how that will affect their schedule going forward, how the rescheduling will be there. Um, But let's bring it back into the Blackhawks realm. Um, And this is obviously a chance for depth guys to prove themselves when guys go out um, because of COVID or injury issues. Um, And then uh, there's a taxi squad this year. This is new. Um, It's four to six players on taxi squads, um, and they can be there after they clear waivers. Uh, Players on taxi squads can be on the active roster as late as uh, 4 p.m. Central Time on a game day. Um, Every team must have three goalies between the active roster and the taxi squad. Um, So that's why you're seeing Lankinen stick around. Otherwise, I think he would go down and just be the starter um, in Rockford. Uh, from the get-go, if that was a normal season, too. Um, but then taxi squad players cannot play in the AHL um, while they are on that taxi squad. So um, just the rules and stipulations here. Uh, players will not have to clear waivers to move from the AHL to the taxi squad, so that's good news um, for all those names I mentioned earlier. If they want to bring those guys to the taxi squad with a chance of cracking the NHL lineup. And then uh, players will have to quarantine for seven days um, when getting called up from the AHL um, uh, to that taxi squad. So, um, just, you know, you, you kind of got to calculate your moves out ahead of time. But, um, what I kind of want to get to is, um, any depth guys that maybe are starting in the AHL, maybe starting on a taxi squad, uh, that you think can benefit most from this in what is an odd situation, obviously not ideal, but it's just the reality of what we're dealing with here. So, um, who, who's going to prove themselves and step up, uh, when the COVID bug or the injury bug bites? I think for me, uh, the guy that stands out the most is uh, Phil Kershev. Uh, I think it, it speaks volumes, the fact that of all the guys that were sent down to the A, he was the, the one that's still left, at least of the forward group, right? I, I'm not so much saying defensemen. I think everybody kind of knew that Carlson, Bodine, Boakvist, and Mitchell were all going to kind of get at least some opportunities this year um, to, to play in games and, and kind of establish themselves as whether or not they can be full-time NHL defensemen, and if they are, which – with at least Bokris and Mitchell, I feel they will be, but just kind of develop and continue to grow. That being said, I mean, there's a very good chance that, you know, first injury or, you know, somebody's not feeling great one day or they're sore or injuries, you know, whatever the case may be, a trade, maybe maybe a team loves Carl Soderberg so early they try and go get him before the deadline. I think Phil Kershev is going to be that first guy in in the forward group, and I think he's going to do well. I mean, it's no joke that he scored two goals in the scrimmage. I know it's just a scrimmage, but still. And he clearly he was, was in the impressive. right areas, Ron. I think yeah. that was the big thing. Exactly. And, and it was clearly impressive if he's one of the few players that was being called out from the scrimmage, right? Him and Mitchell. So um, I think he's going to be the one that benefits the most. I think you're going to see a lot of him this year. I, I'm excited about that because this was a guy that even when he was drafted, this team was very high on. And they said like, hey, he's a couple years away, but keep an eye out for him. And he did a lot of good things even in Rockford last season. You know, he, he wasn't super flashy, but he was just super consistent and got the job done. So I'm looking forward to seeing what Kurashev can do with the opportunities given because of um, the unfortunate circumstance that is the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm going right back to Kevin Lykanen, and I don't wish the vid or, or an injury upon anybody. But uh, I think that uh, if there's one stretch where you could see a potential string of four or five, maybe six starts, uh, or, or, you know, one, uh, one day off sprinkled in there, it would be Kevin Likenin, uh, depending on which goalie goes down. Um, uh, I think that, uh, that would be, uh, beneficial for Likenin if, if he had the opportunity to get that uh, opportunity and, and really shine in it. 
Um, I know we just talked about goalies. Uh, Ron, you brought up Kurashev, I think, from the forward group. Um, he, he's definitely the name to keep an eye on. Um, just uh, like Johnny brought up, he gets to the right areas. I think he's got the most um, opportunity out of that group to make an impact on the score sheet night in and night out. Um, so I like I like both of those names. Um, we talked at nauseum about the defense, though, so um, I think we all know what's going on there. I'm more curious to see what Johnny has to say. I like that we're going to have three different names here. Uh, Tony, you went with Lankinen, uh, Ron's got Kurashev, and I like both those picks, and I kind of talked about how Lankinen will probably have the highest ceiling performances, maybe if they're not in quantity, um, and then Kurashev obviously gets to the right areas. But my guy is Lucas Carlson, and this is a flip for me. Um, I was not a fan of Carlson last year. And he was young. Um, you know, he was taking some licks early on. Uh, if you remember that Vegas series, the one game that he got in, he was stretched out to the corner um, on the game-winning goal when he should have been in front of the net, uh, taking away space from a forward out there. Um, so th- that kind of, you know, puts him in the doghouse in the minds of fans and whatnot. But from what I've seen in training camp and the scrimmages, um, I like what he brings, and he's not afraid to shoot the puck. Um, I talked about wanting to see Boquist shoot the puck a little bit more. Carlson will just step up and do it, rip it, bombs away. Uh, and he, he's going to do that to prove himself uh, when he does get a chance to get in the lineup. Uh, and I think there may be a few games when he steps in and everybody's all ready to watch Adam Boquist and Ian Mitchell. And the most noticeable young defenseman on the ice that night is going to be Lucas Carlson because he stepped up from the slot and maybe didn't you know score the goal, but he got four shots on goal that night. Uh, just from being opportunistic like that and setting up an offensive zone draw uh, for his team. And I think that experience last year, we talk about this being a development year. Well, guess what? This is Ian Mitchell's first taste. Um, we know Adam Boquist already had the all last season. Any of these young guys that come up, it'll be pretty much their first taste, maybe the exception of Bodine, who just got that one last thing there at the end. But um, Carlson did get that, even if it was just that one game against Vegas. Um, that's You don't, don't uh, think that that's not going to stick in the back of his mind as well um, for how he can improve. So uh, I'll go with Lucas Carlson benefiting the most uh, from this COVID situation if he gets thrust in the lineup. So let's move on to the next segment here. Um, We talked about a bunch of storylines on our latest episode, you know, tryouts. That was kind of training camp related. We already touched on uh, Mitchell and Boquist, the goalie situation. Andrew Shaw had a nice discussion about him uh, on the last episode as well. And uh, to bring it bounce back season, um, I think that's very much in the cards as well. Um, are, are there any other storylines that maybe you've developed now that we've had uh, this week of training camp here uh, that you guys wanted to point out? Um, I was just curious because, you know, Ron, you wrote a great article that covered a lot of these, uh, but, you know, things can emerge here. So just want to know if you guys have anything else that uh, may be piquing your interest this year. Yeah, I think one um, that I, I didn't include in my article, I mean, obviously we touched on the youth, we touched on the goalies, you know, the two young defensemen, Shaw, you know, the snipers bouncing back, Strom, et cetera. Um, one guy is Suter. I really think he's kind of developing himself into a, a role on this team because I can't tell you how many countless highlights I saw from guys like Scott Powers and Charlie Romiliotis and, and others of him and Kubalik and Shaw doing these beautiful tic-tac-toe plays and scoring goals in, in drills. Um, and, it, you know, it seems like him and Kubalik might have a little bit of early chemistry. Um, obviously, it's it's very early to tell. And because of the shortened training camp, we're not 100% certain. But I think especially while Soderberg is out for these first four games, why not give Suter a chance at center? Why not let him play with a guy like Dominic Kubalik? Let's see if they find chemistry together because then maybe – 
when Soderberg does come back, maybe Soderberg just centers that line and you let so you know Suter and Kubalik be the two wings and kind of the scorers on that group. And Soderberg's kind of your go into the corners and get the puck out for your playmakers type guy. Um, but I really think Suter's got a great opportunity because of the you know, the lack of scoring on the roster this year, especially with you know the injuries and, and medical conditions you know surrounding guys like Doc and Taves. He could have a really good opportunity to kind of step up, show himself in this 56-game season to kind of cement himself as a, as a player for this team going into next year that's not just going to be a fringe roster guy, but more so a, a mainstay on the roster, even if it isn't a role that's a middle six forward, even if he develops himself as one of your consistent guys. I think that's something to keep an eye on because everything that I've seen early on, it seems like he doesn't look out of place on the NHL ice with an NHL team, and I really look forward to seeing him in live game action. How lonely will Tommy Hawk be in the United Center without fans? I think that's the biggest storyline I've got. Yeah, I I think you're going to see, you know, the energy is going to be high at first because he's excited to have hockey back. But I feel like that could wear, um, especially given some of the performances that he'll probably have to witness and be one of the only people in the building witnessing it. Um, he's not going to have anyone to drown his sorrows with. So, no, I uh, mean, like we've already lonely. seen. Yeah, we've seen Tommy Hawk get agitated before. I just want to know if he's going to fight Mark Lazarus like midway through the season. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. Um, guys, my storyline that emerged from training camp um, goes to the fourth line, and that is Matthew Highmore. You guys know how much I love Carpenter, uh, but if you're new, get used to some fourth line talk because I love Ryan Carpenter, our guy, um, Austin P. Blackhawks D zone loves David Kampf and uh, Pat Comiskey is a big Matthew Highmore fan. So one thing that Pat Comiskey has been bringing up in our group chat frequently, gentlemen, is Matthew Highmore team MVP. And I'm not going to go and say that because Patrick Kane is going to be the team MVP. Uh, that's just it's year in year out that you can count on it um, for at least the next even like three seasons um, I would go and say right now but we we're talking about secondary guys here Matthew Highmore is really stepping up he stepped up huge in, in the playoffs last year uh, when they made it in there um, they've been the most noticeable line uh, throughout training camp and scrimmages um, the guy gets the right areas you know you talk about the upcoming and people why people loved Andrew Shaw in the beginning what do you do in like his first NHL game score a goal and have a fight that's kind of shit you're going to get from Matthew Highmore um, day in and day out this season. Um, and he is going to have to be one of those guys that picks it up because you would assume Andrew Shaw's fighting days are probably past him. Um, wouldn't be surprised to see uh, a guy like Matthew Highmore drop the gloves. Uh, I think Nikita Zadorov's a candidate for that. But uh, Matthew Highmore continuing to go to the uh, gritty areas and maybe not the team MVP award, but I think he should get the Four Feathers Guts Award um, this year. Uh, I think that's very attainable for Matthew Highmore. I like it. I think we're both just Ron and I are just both nodding our head in agreement here because that's that's exactly one of the things that I think for for storylines for myself honestly is who's going to come out and be the cool and tough guy, who's going to come out and be the guy that's that's throwing hands, who's going to be the one uh, standing up for a guy like Patrick Kane uh, taking a cheap shot in a corner somewhere. Uh, and you're right there, Johnny. It's probably going to be a guy like Highmore. Uh, just with what we've got on the roster, I, I really haven't picked out who that guy is going to mm. be yet. Uh, just with the questions that we have around Andrew Shaw, I wouldn't be surprised to see Shaw maybe get into a fight this year. Uh, but we'll, we'll see what happens. I, I think Highmore is there. Um, and I'll throw it back. If you get Nick Sealer in the lineup, you know he's going to go hard. 
Yeah, absolutely. And you talk about uh, not having a guy like Drake Kajula in the lineup this year. Um, I think that expands Matthew Highmore's role a little bit more. And though that line um, has been excellent throughout camp, and I'm sure they'll keep that together for defensive responsibility purposes, uh, you know, at any time in any NHL game, doesn't matter what team, the line blender can be pushed on and off. Um, when that thing's pushed on, would not be surprised to see Matthew Highmore slot up if they're in need of a spark, need a little grit um, on the edge of one of the skill lines. So um, look out for that. Those are our storylines uh, here at Four Feathers. Uh, last episode has more of the other ones that we touched on, uh, just going down the bullet list here. Uh, but we discuss those in depth if you want more on Andrew Shaw, what Bionic Siebes will bring, uh, that kind of stuff. All right, gentlemen, bold predictions time. Um, Ron, you'd kind of alluded to mine earlier, so I'll start. Um, I said that it wasn't really a prediction. It was just a want that I wanted Adam Boquist to be quarterback at power play one. Looks like I'm going to get my wish. So I'm happy about that. Um, my bold prediction, I'd said it, I think on a couple episodes now, Lucas Walmark will be the best value signing in the entire NHL due to his 850 K cap hit. And, uh, you know, his ability to play on both the PK and the power play and, uh, you know, just get in front of the net and score goals. Um, what are your bold predictions here? You know, I think mine's a bit of a, a two-parter. One I wrestled with earlier, I, I wasn't entirely sure about. So I'll throw this out there into the universe for people to answer. Um, they can tweet us at Four Feathers Pod on Twitter. Maybe you guys can answer it. But, you know, who is going to be the next highest scorer on this team this year behind Patrick Kane? Whether goal scorer or point scorer, I think that's that's an interesting question and debate that can be had. But for me, my bold prediction for this upcoming season and this Blackhawks team is that Ian Mitchell will lead all Blackhawks defensemen in points. I think he's going to just come out of nowhere. I think he's really going to surprise a lot of people. Maybe he gets an opportunity late in the season to be a, like the second power play quarterback if, if he really starts to show some offensive prowess. Um you know, but I think he has a legitimate chance to be, and I, I mean, it might be saying that I'm, you know, like trying to be the tallest midget or whatever, but, you know, there's not a lot of scorers on this blue line right now. I mean, arguably outside of Boakfast and Keith, Murphy, Dahan, and, and Zadarov are more stay-at-home guys. So I think Mitchell has a very good opportunity here um, to lead the team in, in points uh, for defensemen. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and say that is going to be Ian Mitchell's role this year will be the leading scorer amongst Blackhawks defensemen. Ron, if we want to discuss that first question you posed, um, I, I think that it's Alex Dabrinkit. Um, and that's just maybe my bold prediction right there in and of itself is that Alex Dabrinkit is going to have that bounce back year and be that guy. Um, I said on the last show that it wouldn't be surprising if he's not a leading scorer on this team within the next three years. I think a lot of that does depend on Patrick Kane's health and and just uh, if you do see a decline or if Patrick Kane for some odd reason gets shipped off in some sort of a deal. But I think Alex DeBrinkett has had that scoring touch, that scoring ability, um, basically his whole hockey career outside of what we saw in the down year last year. Um, so I'm really looking for him to bounce back. I think you could throw Kubalik up there too, Ron, and we can have that debate. Uh, but I think it's Alex DeBrinkett's uh, title to hold here. Uh, that's just my take on it. Um, you know, if you want to go to bold predictions, uh, I, I, I have one uh, that doesn't really apply in this year. And and it's kind of off of the roster and more on the fan base. I think my bold prediction in a normal year here, if we're talking about full capacity seating and, and no COVID, is just how empty the United Center would be in a normal year this year. And I think that that's something that we kind of forget about uh, talking about this is that uh, we're going to see a different type of atmosphere 
at the UC when we do return, uh, considering uh, a the product that's going to be on the ice, and b maybe there's some some COVID restrictions or, or hangovers or fears from people about getting back to the stadium. Uh, but the the energy isn't going to be the same for these guys, uh, guys that are so used to having a packed crowd every single night. I'm talking about Patrick Kane, Brent Seabrook, um, Duncan Keith, uh, just the guys that have been here for a while and used to what we've had in Chicago, that roaring crowd. Uh, it, it can get a little different and, and maybe a little monotonous uh, as we stretch towards February, March this year. Obviously not a full season, but right now we'd be in the middle of the dog days of what would be the NHL season. Uh, and with this roster, it's not going to be the same. So how do these guys continue to uh, bring the energy every day uh, to go out there and, and play, A, in front of no fans, but B, once we get back there uh, with just a different type of, of scenery uh, that they're normally used to at the UC? I think that that's something that we haven't really touched on or, or really talked about uh, at length, but I, I think that that's going to have an effect on how some of these guys play. You can talk about Jonathan Taves if he – does come back this year uh what's that energy level going to be like for these guys in, in front of either a no one or uh, a quieter more sparse crowd i believe stan bowman is getting bailed out a little bit and i know the blackhawks obviously they'd want their money uh from the tickets that come in uh, you know people that do show up but i think they're getting bailed out a little bit um, because you wouldn't be able to see visibly there won't be people on twitter posting pictures of empty seats and just sections of them uh, at the United yep. Center, Tony. So I think that's a very valid, uh, you know, point that you bring up. So uh, it just kind of might spin off there that Stan, in a way, g- it gets bailed out of this. Uh, mine, Ron, kind of going back to your question then, because um, just answering that, I'll side with Tony there. And I didn't want to say this as a bold prediction because it shouldn't really be bold. I think a lot of people expect him to for the money that he makes. Uh, but I, I think Alex Debrinkit does uh, have a bounce back here. Um, and he is in that 21 to 27 ish goal range um the, the shot is too good that's mine and he got unlucky last year i think you guys know uh, where i've stood on that um with alex to break it so uh, i do think he finds that and he's got patty kane setting him up on the other side at least to start here before the line blender goes into effect so um i think he's going to get his um i like to bring it for uh second leading score on the team all right one real quick update on prospects uh landon slaggart won a gold medal so congratulations to him and the united states on taking that home at the world juniors uh when he came back first came back against arizona state for notre dame uh scored two goals so he was feeling it from that uh, maybe a little uh, buzz still going on um from a championship run with team usa so that was good to see all right let's jump in opening night preview uh tampa bay is a really fucked up cap situation guys um they're, they're moving players around uh, uh with you know long-term injury reserve um keeping guys you know sending guys through waivers yada yada I saw a tweet today, um, and it was from, I believe, a TSN reporter that uh, Tampa Bay's situation is so weird right now that it will leave Tyler Johnson and Luke Shen off for at least game one. Um, so two main contributors, mainstays in their lineup. I mean, Tyler Johnson, uh, mainstay there uh, up front. You talk about a point producer, um, will likely be out of the lineup for opening night. But once again, remember the Blackhawks play uh, with this weird you know, season the way it is. It's series kind of, uh, kind of baseball style. So those guys would be eligible to return for game two on Friday night. But um, I guess my question that this leads into is, can the Blackhawks have a chance uh, in this game on opening night against the Tampa Bay Lightning? Defending Stanley Cup champion uh, Tampa Bay Lightning against the lowly rebuilding developmental year Blackhawks. 
do we have a chance? I mean, I, I guess you can go with the cliche and say there's always a chance, right? But I honestly think there might be a chance because, you know, Tampa is without Nikita Kucherov. They're without Tyler Johnson. Um, obviously, they still have a ton of firepower. Don't get me wrong. Jan Ruda, Pylon Ruda. Uh, is playing the first uh, pairing. I don't know if anybody Victor else Edmund, saw that. Yeah. I can't wait yeah. for him to fucking score a goal and to text you, Ron. I just can't wait. I know. I know. I know. I'm ready for it, Tony. I'm ready for it. I, I'm going to get... I, I fully expect to uh, to feel pain from that one. But, I, you know, I really think... Uh, I really think they have a shot, especially night one. I think, you know, Tampa's raising the banner at home. You know, they, they're, they're feeling good. They won the cup. You know, they played the most recently outside of them and the Dallas Stars. And they'll play the most recently because Dallas has all the COVID issues. So um, they'll be, you know, a couple, you know, they'll be waiting for a couple games before they really get going. So I do think, I do think they really do have a chance on night one. As long as they come out with some kind of energy and, you know, we kind of joked about it, right, with, you know, MVP Highmore. Those type of guys are going to be ones that set the tempo. Uh, on night one if they can come out and set the tempo i think the hawks have a chance to squeak out um but that being said my sentiments about game two might be very different uh, based on how tomorrow night goes so i think they absolutely have a chance but like everything else in life we'll see yeah i mean uh it, it, this is tough i mean the obvious answer to go here johnny is is absolutely not this team is outmatched by a defending stanley cup champion team i think crazier things have happened um, we'll, we'll see where I put my money tomorrow and, and Ron, I'm curious to see where, if, if you're even going to bet on this game. Uh, but, uh, I think that, uh, the Hawks actually do have a chance in this one. Uh, you get a team, uh, riding high after a Stanley cup victory, they raise their banner. They might be on their heels a little bit, uh, celebrating and, and just kind of reliving, uh, the moment in, uh, you know, the, the Stanley cup finals. I think it's really easy for, uh, this to be. Somewhat considered a trap game for Tampa Bay, uh, even though there, there has not been a game played before it. Uh, you can't match the energy of the Stanley Cup Finals. Uh, that's what most of those guys were most recently playing in. Uh, the Hawks have a bunch of young guys that are out there uh, looking to prove themselves, jump off uh, and start the season. They're definitely the underdogs. I think they'll have a little bit of a chip on their shoulder. The adrenaline should be high for some of these guys. Uh, I think if the Hawks are going to beat Tampa Bay, tomorrow is the, the most opportune time to do so. Uh, so I, I could easily see uh, somewhere around like a 4-3 victory for the Hawks. Uh, get Patrick Kane on the score sheet early. Um, I can't wait to give uh, a stick to click here. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We'll get to those in a minute. Uh, yeah, I, I'm with you. I do think uh, there is a chance of opening night. Maybe it will look a little different um, on night two after some adjustments are made after Tampa Bay gets those guys back in the lineup. But uh, for me, biggest factor is that you talk about, um, you know, they still do have a ton of firepower. Don't get me wrong. But uh, Nikita Kucherov is the main facilitator of the offense. And it kind of feels like when he goes, they go. Um, he's out. He's out right now. And then Tyler Johnson, a guy that would pick up slack in that absence, uh, and be gone for game one. So, yeah, absolutely. I think that helps limit um, at least the uh, real high tier uh, goal scoring ability that Tampa has um, up and down their roster um, that you're taking away some of those top names there. And uh, Blackhawks defensively, um, sure, uh, on the back end, it's going to be a little bit of an experiment. But um, I think this year, a little bit more of that can be covered up um, with the bottom six uh, when you're talking about defensive responsibility from the forwards. 
that that fourth line has been buzzing um, throughout camp. Uh, they they got a good thing going right now. Um, you got a guy like Walmark up the middle, um, so you're winning some faceoffs there with him. Um, Matthias Janmark is a bitch to play against, so um, I, I definitely do think they can uh, kind of grind one out. Uh, I'd kind of pin it probably around that same uh, you know score there, Tony. Maybe three two. Uh, maybe it kind of gets a little more shelled uh, towards the end if someone's up. Um, that's kind of where I'd go with the prediction. But, yeah, Hawks have a chance, but I think either way, I think the game goes 3-2. Uh, that'd be my prediction. Let's get a stick to click. First one of the year. God damn, it feels good uh, to have this back, boys. Um, new listeners, uh, stick to click. Uh, we pick a player who we think will be the breakout performer. It's basically what was the whose line is anyway rules. Uh, everything's made up and the points don't matter. Um, that's how it works here, but we like to give out these predictions. So um, either one of you, whoever wants to start, go ahead and fire away. Stick to click. Uh, Got to go to it. Uh, first game of the year, Patrick Kane. Uh, I'll take the easy answer. Uh, Patrick Kane, uh, most likely to get on the score sheet out of this group. Yeah, that's that's a good one. Sometimes easy is the best way to go. I'm going to go a little bit off the board with my stick to click. I'm going to go ahead and pick the mutt. I want to see Andrew Shaw. Um, you know, he's been he hasn't played hockey since, what, November of 2019. I mean, it's been a hot minute for him. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing him come out with some energy. You know, he's fresh. I think he's, you know, in a really good spot and, you know, in a good headspace, you know, as, as a player. Um, so I'm really excited to see what he does. And I think, you know, because of all the injuries and because of the, the situation this team's in right now, he's going to have every opportunity to probably probably play good minutes, uh, probably in a, in a top six situation, if I had a guess. So uh, give me number 65, Mr. Andrew Shaw, uh, as my stick to click for the first one of the season. Love those. Um, for me, I have to go first game of the season. Um, it's been way too long since I've seen him uh, out in regular game action. Uh, I think you guys would have to impeach me as the president of his fan club if I didn't pick him. Ryan Carpenter, uh, assist and a shorthanded goal. Let's go, baby. There you go. I love that. Love it. All right. Um, that's that's about it uh, that we've got for this. Um, I think we'd be remiss, though, if we did not at least say a big thank you to Corey Crawford um, as he announced his retirement uh, in between the last time we recorded and now. So if you guys have a favorite Crow moment, we could easily do a full you know, two hour podcast about this, but a uh, quick moment. I mean, I think everybody can agree that the parade fucking right. Chicago um, is a top moment, but uh, if you guys have anything else, just to just spout off some favorite Crawford uh, memories before we send her out here. I think a great one is that 2013 cup run where he arguably could have just as easily been the con Smythe as, as Patrick Kane was. Uh, he was unbelievable in that playoff run. You know, he, he, he was the backbone of that team. I mean, really 13 to 15. I mean, those incredible runs where you, you could argue the Hawks could have gone back to back to back, you know, if it wasn't for that Western conference final game in 2014. And, and he was the backbone of every single one of those teams. Um, yeah. I'm going to miss Crow dearly. It's kind of almost weirdly satisfying that he decided to retire after he signed somewhere else, just for the sake of saying that he never wore another team's Jersey in a game, uh, only wore a Blackhawks Jersey. So um, but you know, good for him, a hell of a career. I hope fifties in the rafters someday. Uh, but that 2013, you know, cup run still sticks out to me in my head on a very daily basis. When I think of Corey Crawford, uh, for me, I guess my favorite Corey Crawford moment, uh, was just getting to see him lift that 2013 cup. Um, I was a Crawford doubter through and through. Um, I I'll go as far as to say that, uh, 
I I personally myself uh, bad take at the time. Uh, you can old takes expose me uh, on this one. Uh, thought that it was a huge mistake initially after seeing the report that uh, uh, the the Hawks were going to go with uh, Jalmerson over Niemi. Uh, I was I was kind of pissed at that. I didn't I did not like that at the time. Uh, didn't think Corey Crawford had the uh, I guess mental fortitude or the skill to get the job done. Uh, and seeing him get to hoist the cup in, in 13 for me w- was absolutely huge. Um, uh, still kind of doubted him through a lot. I thought Corey Crawford gave up a lot of soft goals. I thought that he uh, just wasn't going to be the goalie um, throughout that 2013 season, though. Definitely proved me wrong. Ron, you're right. Uh, definitely could have been the Conn Smythe winner uh, in either of those. Uh, and just seeing him kind of develop, I think, a little bit later than a lot of people would expect a goalie to develop and, and just accomplish everything that he did in his career. Um, as a Blackhawks fan, it was amazing to watch uh, what he was able to do. I got to crack one for Crow right here. Um, just excellent. I think that there's something to be said for you know watching a guy develop uh, when you didn't believe in him. Uh, to being one of those guys that's just an anchor and a part of the core uh, of a uh, perennial championship uh, caliber team. Uh, that's so cool to watch. Uh, I loved every minute of, of Corey Crawford's career and net for the Blackhawks, whether or not he was giving up soft goals or making spectacular fucking saves and, and stealing games uh, late in the season or, or through uh, multiple cup runs or even just playoff games that uh, kind of blend into the memory here. Um, as we watched so many in the last decade, but uh, just an excellent career uh, for Corey. Uh, I hope this, uh, the Hawks do bring him back, maybe on a, a one last shift, uh, let him stand out there and, and hear the anthem one last time. Um, and his his number definitely deserves to be hanging in the rafters, uh, bringing two cups to the city of Chicago. And I, I don't think the guy will ever pay for a drink in another Chicago bar the rest of his life. And I just wish him and his family nothing but the best. It's, it was awesome to have him here uh, for as long as we did. Johnny. Crack him for Crow indeed, gentlemen. Um, you guys put out a bunch of good points I won't duplicate here, even if I feel uh, strongly about your guys as well. Obviously, 13 was incredible. Uh, but for specific moments, Chippy Crow moments, uh, going to the corner, battling with some blues, uh, you know, after the fact, getting a little extracurricular there, uh, you know, staring down Jonathan Quick at center ice, shaking the gloves like he wanted to drop him. Quick wanted none of that smoke. Um, so th- th- those were fun moments with Corey Crawford. Obviously, the rally, like I mentioned, at the very beginning uh, but I think um, what I'll go with here for maybe uh, something that gets overlooked um, and not I guess not overlooked but uh, kind of overshadowed by the more immaculate like performances that he had um, you know Crawford had to have uh, Scott Darling help him out uh, during that first round series in 2015 against the Nashville Predators um, the way he was composed enough to bounce back from that and be the guy the rest of the way and the way it culminated in a shutout on home ice to clinch that thing for the Blackhawks in 2015, that might be one of my favorite Corey Crawford story arcs. So, um, yeah, crack him for Crow like we just did there. Um, some of our favorite memories. Uh, I'm sure, you know, more will be spilling out um, as we 
talk about how bad this Hawks goaltending is uh, this year uh, and how much we wish uh, Corey Crawford was still manning the net for the Hawks. So um, a little reminiscing definitely coming up this season. But, uh, gentlemen, that, that does it all for today. Uh, thank you for joining me for the season preview episode. Um, make sure you're going to ontapsportsnet.com uh, for all your Chicago sports literature and podcasting needs. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Four Feathers Pod and at on tap sportsnet twitter and instagram please go follow us there before the season starts we'll share content on a daily basis uh from there other than that keep it locked in all season long for post game shows we'll be back uh after the blackhawks and lightning uh go head to head on opening night i uh, can't wait to get back to these post game recaps so this will be a little bit shorter length episodes um in the 15 to 30 minute range uh kind of recap what went on uh give some takes and some analysis uh some figures and um you know uh commiserate with you as fans because there are going to be moments uh, that are gonna be rough this year but we're here uh with you through it um let's get through it together and uh just be happy that hockey is back boys so let's close this down only way we know how Let's go Hawks. Let's go Hawks. Happy birthday, Marion Hosa. Let's go Hawks. Let's go Hawks.